Hello and welcome to Empire of the Cop Insider. I'm Farrell Keeling and we've got the eternally lovely Neil Jones here with us yet again this week. The football is back and thank God we've got a Liverpool win to talk about. Um, not, not quite the convincing start, Neil, but a much better end to the first half and certainly a huge improvement on the, on the second half to produce that 3-1 win against Bournemouth. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I think I, I did a did a uh, podcast with the Anfield Rap on Friday, and one of the things that I sort of said in the podcast, I, I, you know, you talk about a lot of things in the build up to a game, and I said I'd quite like to see Liverpool answer a few questions in the game. You know, not you know, a, a little bit. I, I didn't not I didn't want them to win nine nil, but you want you sort of want them to have a little bit of adversity and come through it, and sort of actually, you know, sort of convince themselves as much as the fans and. In that in that sense, I think they did a little bit. You know, they they had they had adversity in the game. Obviously, two two big moments in the game where where you, it could go wrong, couldn't it? You know, you you, you go one nil down in the first couple of minutes, and then you you go down to ten men when the game is very much in the balance. And I thought Liverpool reacted to both of those things really well, and that's something that maybe we wanted to see from them. They wanted to see that they can, you know, they don't sort of spiral into this, you know, sort of team that we saw last season where things get away from them early in a game and they can't pull it back or that, that you know, they have a, a setback and they, they sort of fall apart. So in that sense, I think there was a lot to, to like about the game. Obviously, you don't want to be giving teams a goal start. And I mean, let's be fair, it could have been more than a goal start the way that Liverpool began the game. Um, and you'd still like to see them look a little bit more, or a little bit less open. You know, the goalkeepers obviously made a couple of saves late on. There's a couple of chances that Bournemouth might have taken that might have made it a bit more nervy. But I think overall, and I think I think crucially, I think individually in terms of the players, I think you're seeing a lot of players in form and you're seeing a team that's starting to figure itself out and figure each other out. And I do think we can expect Liverpool to get better as you know, as these opening weeks sort of are negotiated. Um and yeah, I think I think Saturday was a, as a step forward. And if you look around, you know, you look around the league. Chelsea yesterday lost. Manchester United lost on 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 Saturday. Arsenal played tonight. Um, you know, Newcastle have been beaten already. So Liverpool are already sort of you know above par probably for 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 two games in. I know that sounds ridiculous. So it um yeah, it's not been the worst start as it to the season. I think I was quite positive after Chelsea, and I'm even more so after Bournemouth. I think it was a really, really quite impressive start uh, from Bournemouth. And I think perhaps more of a, a difficult game than most might give it credit for. And then, you know, you, you've got to look as well the context of sort of Chelsea game, you know, a point at Stamford Bridge. I think, you know, it's been discussed. It's 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 not a bad thing, is it? I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm sure certainly as the season goes on and Chelsea improve and their new signings fit in, um, we'll look back on that point a bit more, more favourably than we are sort of currently. Um, I, I want to talk about the new boys. Um, specifically, uh, not not so much our most recent signing in Ender. We'll get to him short, shortly, but we'll go chronologically here. Um, obviously, there's the, the major talking point uh, with the Alexis McAllister at red card. But I want to start off with Sir Bosley's, um performance in particular. You know, it, it looked like a real sort of force of nature, sort of driving forward. We've already seen plenty of clips online of, of that run where he sort of smokes two Bournemouth defenders in the process. Um, but I think perhaps what will be the standout sort of factor, certainly what would appeal to Jurgen Klopp looking back through the footage, would have been perhaps how seamlessly he fitted into that sort of traditional Henderson role, dropping back yeah. to support the full-back. Um, I mean, dare I say it, with all due respect to Naby Keita, it looks like we've signed something of an upgrade in the number eight position. 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, listen again, not 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 to bring Cater and Oxley Chamber, but I, <laughs> it did. Someone did mention that to me that you know Liverpool haven't really had a player like him since Oxley Chamberlain was maybe in his you know that 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 short-lived purple patch before his injury you know when when he was driving from midfield and shooting from outside the box and had that real physical sort of power to him and so Bosley you know obviously looks two games into the season and of course you've got to you've got to remember that you just mentioned Cater there I mean I remember his first couple of games and there was a lot of excitement around him and you know he never quite sort of kicked on from there did he but so Bosley I think what 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 stands out for me more than anything is that sort of mix of of talent and, and and silky sort of on the ball work with with just a what looks like a natural desire to work hard and a, and a strength and a physicality to go with it. So there's a lot to like about him, most definitely. I mean, he does a lot of his work on that right side, doesn't he? You know, if you look at his sort of touch and heat maps, and he is very much in the Henderson position, if you want to call it that, as a, as a midfielder, but he plays in a completely different way. You know, he's far more happy to have the ball with his back to play and to play one touch and to sort of, you know, to, to link and he can carry the ball. I think what, what would have impressed Jürgen, and I think it did impress Jürgen, he mentioned it in his press conference, was sort of when Liverpool went down to, to 10 men, they obviously needed everyone to, to give a little bit extra. And in, in fairness, everyone did, but it felt like he got stronger. You know, it felt like he sort of stepped up and said, right, OK, this is, this is me then, isn't it? I'm going to have to do the work of two people and, you know, he he really sort of took the fight to Bournemouth. Obviously, you know, was involved in the in the third goal. Really kept getting Liverpool to the edge of the box and around the box, didn't he? And you know, into dangerous positions. And I think that speaks to his character, doesn't it? You know, he, he's the captain of Hungary for a reason. He's only twenty two. Um, it does feel like Liverpool have signed someone who's got an awful lot of uh, yeah ticks in the box, doesn't it? It feel if he feels like a Liverpool player, but he also feels like a Liverpool crowd player as well. He feels like someone of the crowd would really sort of relate to and and enjoy because he's not frightened to get his hands dirty. He's not just a sort of a luxury player who likes to, you know, be be there when the ball is around him. He actually wants to go and win it back. He wants to go and fight for it and he wants to go and carry it as well to the opposition. No, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it, it's quite interesting because I, I was at the Darmstadt game and I remember sort of watching him and thinking a bit easy to sort of knock off the ball. I, I think, you know, it was very much... Everyone was sort of looking at the contrast between McAllister and Sebastian, thinking, "Oh, this, this this lad's going to take a bit of time." You know, we'll, we'll keep with him. Of course, we spent the money. He's certainly got that talent. But it, it's been quite the contrast. Even these opening two games, uh, the improvement has been sort of clear for all to see. Um, speaking of McAllister, unfortunately, I, I mean, I think Klopp also said after the game because I think reporters were keen to sort of you know talk about Sebastian. I think Klopp went, "Well, hang on, McAllister actually yeah. had a pretty good game himself uh, b- before the red card incident." Um, Two things, really. I, I want to get your, your verdict. I think everyone's sort of spoken about on the issue and how, how nonsensical it seems. So I, I want to get your sort of point of view on that sort of red card call and also beyond that, really, because it seems Liverpool will appeal that decision. How likely are we to succeed in that endeavour? <laughs> I'd say unlikely, probably, um, <laughs> given, given the, way it, the way, way it works. I mean, it wasn't even taken to a, a review, was it, by the, the VAR? And that, that suggests that they'll back the they'll back the referee in in, in that regard. It was it was one of those where, when it happened live, obviously you, you're sort of you're a little bit excited because it looked like it might have been one that McAllister could get to first, and if he does, then obviously Liverpool had the ball in a, in a good position. But you saw it when when they collided, and, and, and to be honest, my my first reaction was, "Ooh, like that that you know that could be a bad one because you saw the way Christie went down, you saw the type of sort of." challenge it was it, 
it wasn't malicious, but it was one that you could definitely get hurt, you know, going into or, or being on the end of. And then obviously the red card comes straight out. So you, I was sort of waiting for the replay, expecting to see that McAllister had been like sort of halfway up the, the shin and, you know, caught him. And you think, well, you can't really argue with that. And when he saw it back, you thought, ah, that's, it's one of those where you 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 have to have a, I think you have to have a little understanding of of what what malice and dangerous is really and, and and I don't think either of those players really wanted to go into that challenge. I think both of those players sort of knew that they couldn't pull out, and they've both sort of done pretty much the same thing, haven't they? In terms of you know they've gone inside foot sort of what a yard or two off the ground. And one's just nicked the ball first and 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 kicked through, and obviously you know he's, he's caught one, absolutely a, a painful painful one for for Ryan Christie, but I think if that's given as a yellow card on the field, which it probably should have been, well it definitely should have been, I don't think that gets upgraded on on a on a VAR review to a red. But once he's given the red card, I think it's obvious that they were never going to call him back and say no, you've got that wrong. Um, so by that end, I think Liverpool will be. Probably wise to not. Well, not to, no, I wouldn't say wise not to, but I, I wouldn't be expecting Liverpool to win an appeal on that. Um, I'd be expecting them to gather round and uh, support the referee. But it's a, it's a huge blow, and I think you you know you're right to mention that what Jurgen said about McAllister. You know, he said he he also had a really good home debut, just didn't last as long as as Subosli's, and um, yeah, it he's he's also I think he quietly. And and it's in in far from ideal circumstances as well, given that he's playing out of position. He's really sort of shown his his worth. I think McAllister already, you know. And I think once you can get him sort of a bit further up the field, and imagine him playing where Gakpo was playing in the first couple of games, I think you'd, you'd see a more a much more sort of um, just just complete Liverpool side. I, I would say, you know, you'd see you'd see him sort of doing those. Like we saw in preseason, where he plays those final passes, you know, in and around the box, where he plays those one twos, where he gets into the, the number ten position and sort of finds space. He's he's brilliant at that. He's brilliant at doing it in the number six because he's, he's so reliable in his touch and his first pass. But he's too far away from sort of the the, the danger area, if you like, when he's doing that. So he's done he's done well with what he's what he's been asked to do. But there's a lot more to come from McAllister when he plays further forward, and it would be a shame now. Obviously, that he, well, it will be a shame if he, if and when he gets this this suspension, that's going to cost him a little bit of rhythm. And we saw it last year, didn't we, with Darwin Nunez? You know, it 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 cost him, I think, quite severely. I, you know, I, I, when you look back on the season, I think that really did set Nunez back because you think Liverpool went to Old Trafford just after that, and you think, imagine he gets a goal in that game. They, they, they play Crystal Palace, they, sorry, they play Bournemouth and win nine nil. You think, God. Probably gets a hat trick in that game, you know. There's a real, there's a real chance. You know, there was a real chance for him to get some momentum early in the season. It was taken away by by his own stupidity. I think McAllister's a different situation. It's not stupidity. It's just a bit of bad luck, I think, and and maybe, well, yeah, a bit of bad bad officiating as well, and a bit of, you know, a lack of, I think, a lack of appreciation of the game there, a a little bit from, from the officials. I think they've seen they've seen sort of, yeah, okay, a kick on the ankle. As opposed to, do you know what? That's two players honestly going for the ball and sort of, you know, having to go for the ball, and one of them just coming off a little bit worse than the other. I mean, I don't want to get sort of too bogged down in this, but it's also it's it's going to be difficult to avoid kind of questions and scrutiny, especially when you look at who was in the VAR room. You know, Paul hmm. Tierney and Constantine Azikis. It 
could could there be two worse <laughs> suspects, well, you know, behind yeah. the, the scenes? I mean, I don't want to point fingers too much and question integrity too much, but if, if you were looking at the two the two officials you absolutely did not want from a Liverpool perspective, you have a history of, um, should we say, questionable decision making as far as Klopp and certainly I imagine Andy Robertson will feel, <laughs> um, and Liverpool in general. It, it, it's it's hard. It's hard. I think from a Liverpool fans' perspective, to not feel a little bit aggrieved and a little bit sort of hard done by. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean we... sorry. I was going to say. I mean, what I would say is obviously Liverpool got. I would say Liverpool got a cheap penalty in the in the game, and 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 you know that was that's one that. <laughs> and I know, I know, and I know there are people who who really believe that there are these agendas against the club and this not. And listen, it would be natural if. Paul Tierney and Constantine Hadikas were very were on heightened alert when they refereed a Liverpool game because of all the all the publicity and the the furor that's been around them in the past. But really, I mean, I think the referee gave the red card after all. You know, he 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 showed the red card straight away. And, and if his if his thinking is no, I know he didn't catch him that hard, but his foot was up and his studs were showing, and and that's it. You know, the VAR is not there to sort of to say. No, his foot wasn't up, you know. Well, it is, sorry, it is, but it, it, his foot was. So, he can't... I don't think you can pin it on the VAR. I think maybe they could have said, come come and have a look and, and reassess. But I think the same applies with the penalty, doesn't it? I think a lot of people would have said, listen, that's given at the other end. I think a lot of Liverpool fans are saying, why wasn't that sent to the screen? Because that's a, an exaggerated context. It's minimal. And it, it's, it's, I think it's another good example as well. I saw a, a quite a good um, thing where it, it, it said it's almost... It shows the the ridiculousness of the penalty area almost because it, it it's it's not an offence that's worthy of a penalty you know of, of a basically a goal you know it, it's it's so sort of innocuous because it's on right on the corner of the penalty area it leads to a penalty which is pretty much a goal so I think Liverpool got the benefit of a of a you know a questionable decision with the penalty they got the, the wrong end of a questionable decision with the with the red card and it's um yeah he was he was on VAR yesterday as well Paul T and he wasn't he with the Chelsea game I think against West Ham. Oh, um, so he's yeah, so he's had a he's had a overtime this weekend. He's, had a, he's, earned, he's earned a bit of money this weekend. I think he give a he give a, um, I think it was a penalty that was was overturned, wasn't it? With um with Nicholas Jackson, was it when he went around the goalkeeper and the, it was pulled back for offside? And it was, a, it was obviously penalties at both ends. Uh, another penalty, sorry, late in the game with with, with Casado. So he's had a busy week, Paul uh, Tierney, but he tends to doesn't he? Tends to have those. Oh, certainly. It does, it does seem to follow him, doesn't it? We mentioned Kai City. We'll get to that shortly. And I do mm-hmm. want to touch on uh, Watero Endo. We were talking of players who have made a, a positive impression. Um, I think what certainly stuck out for me, certainly in the props of the post-match uh, press conference comments, um, he made very clear he had a conversation with him the morning of the game to sort of briefly discuss tactics, briefly discuss his role on the side. He sort of said, look, not in any of those discussions did a 4-4-1 <laughs> come into play. Um very much thrown into the deep end, but you look at sort of his stats, you know, from from that sort of debut, and it's an eighty eight percent pass success rate, two clearances, an interception. You know, no one's saying that he's set the world alight, but I think yeah. bearing in mind you know, the context around the game, I, I, I think I think that's a pretty sort of impressive start for a player who's just come into sort of a new league and has sort of been you know tasked with right, we're down to ten here. Let's let's not <laughs> let, let's try yeah, and preserve well. this win. Well, the first thing I would say is, what wasn't it nice to have a defensive midfielder that you could turn to in, in a situation like that? You know, you think about it. Liverpool went down to ten minutes at Stamford Bridge, 
last week, you know, okay, Curtis Jones probably would have come on, but Curtis, that would be Curtis Jones probably playing that position for the first time in in the Premier League. You know, first time in his, his professional club career, should I say? You you would have had James McConnell as your, your second midfield substitution, an eighteen year old who's never played professional football. So <laughs> you've got a J- Japan international, the captain of Japan, a captain of Stuttgart to turn to. That that's first of all, that's a bonus. So listen, it might not be the player that everyone expected, and we've talked, you and I have talked many many times about holding midfielders and who you would like and what what type of player. And I don't think we ever came towards anyone who was. 30, let alone someone who's playing for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga at 30. Um, so still that was that was a bonus, wasn't it? That Liverpool had him in their pocket. Obviously, they I think they'd have much preferred it to be 3-1 and Liverpool had 11 men and Endo could come on for a much more sort of serene debut and introduce himself. But in a way, I think it was quite good that he got to come on and he got to come on and play his game a little bit, didn't he? You know, in, in the sense of, you know, what what's his strengths? Okay, his strengths are defending. His strengths of winning the ball and you know being being good in the air. There was there was one really good header from his own box, which I thought that was quite encouraging. That he, you know he he was in the right place to start with, but he got good distance on his header, and you know he was sort of that'll be a bonus for Liverpool to have someone like that who can offer a bit more protection and a bit more sort of presence in the box and set pieces and things like that. So it was yeah, it was listen. It was a low key. I think you have to give him you have to give him a pass that you know he's. <laughs> We spoke to him after the game in the mix zone. I, we, I stopped him. We had an interview, and um, he, he said he was preparing, you know, on on Tuesday for for Bundesliga football. You know, against their Bochum at home, Stuttgart. He won five nil on on Saturday. He said he was preparing for that game, and then obviously as the week's gone on, he's ended up sort of getting his head around the fact that he's going to be playing at Anfield in front of fifty one thousand in the Premier League in a game where where they're down to ten men, and it's sort of, you know, it's it's a bit. It's going a bit uh, chaotic and a bit end to end, so you have to give him a pass on that. That you know he's he's learning learning a new sort of life. Um, you know he's only had one training session with his teammates. He only got his international clearance on Saturday morning, so there's a lot to unpack there. And I think also you just have to, you know, you know what it's like. You, you know, just just to just to um peek behind the curtain a little bit. But you've been moving house. I've been you know you've, we've all been away on holiday. We've all oh, yes. gone through those things. It it. it it takes it out of you, doesn't it? You know that sort of those kind of things. And imagine, imagine uprooting your life from Germany to England, and sort of at the, you know going through medicals, and sort of all of a sudden you're looking at okay, right, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? What, you know, where are my family going to come over? That kind of thing. Of course, it's going to be a, a sort of a stressful week. So I think you can, you've got to, you've got to give players a little bit of uh, leeway in that regard. I don't think you could expect too much from them, but what we got from them, I thought was, you know. Was pretty pretty standard and, and pretty encouraging from a Liverpool point of view. You know, he looks like he looks to me like he's someone who's going to be quite reliable, if not spectacular. A sign of things to come, certainly. And I, I think what's it, we've discussed the Chelsea game already. We've discussed Moises Caicedo already, and I think the contrast certainly in those two games, the Chelsea defeat to West Ham and Liverpool's win over Bournemouth. I think I think no one's under any illusion, given the quality of you know certainly Caicedo in particular. That you know, this will be a player that will will turn good for Mauricio Pochettino. Um, but I, I think it is perhaps worth pointing out the comparison in terms of how smoothly the likes of McAllister, Sabozlai, now perhaps Waturo Endo, have fitted it, have fit into the eleven and their sort of more or less immediate impact when it comes to com- the competitive league. You know, restarting. I mean, it says a lot. I think about so the differences between Liverpool and Chelsea's recruitment, sort of the the, the slow patient, precise approach 
a Liverpool and the scattergun just throw money against the wall and see what sticks at Chelsea. Yeah, oh, 100%. I mean, if you look at you look at that team that Chelsea had on, you look at the subs, you know, Mudrick and, and Madueke come on as subs. They were both signed in January and they're already out of the sort of, you know, out of the start 11 at this moment in time. They've, they've changed system. You know, they now have these sort of this four... A three-four-two-one sort of thing, isn't it? With you know, got a new centre forward now, so they're gonna they're gonna pin the hopes on him. They've all of a sudden, you know, they've got uh, you know the the captain's injured, so that they're, they're sort of having to having to sort of fit a new new player in at right wing back and things like that. They're sort of having to. They've obviously spent a lot of money, so I expect Caicedo and or Lavia to sort of come into the midfield, but they're, they're they're putting together a new midfield partnership. Liverpool obviously have had needed to make some changes, but I think they've done it. Generally, they've done it without sort of really disrupting the the, the the sort of the core of the side, isn't it? You know, you look and in any given week, you're going to have Allison, you're going to have Van Dijk, you're going to have Trent, you're going to have Robertson, Salah, um, you know, Diaz. So you've got that sort of reliable core, and I think what it also says a little bit is it. <laughs> the senior players, I think, I think sort of set that tone at a club, and you know, you think of. If you've got a lot of new players coming into a club, and Liverpool have only got three coming into the, the, the side this this summer at the moment, but if you've got new players, you, you, you're going to need those ones who've been around for a while to sort of really make sure that there's this kind of expectation, there's this standard, there's this training sort of um, culture, if you like, training ground culture. I don't think Chelsea have had that. And I heard Frank Lampard speaking about it actually on a, on a podcast not so long ago. Um, and he said, you know, it sounds like sort of management speak when you say, "Oh, the training ground culture," or the you know the the sort of the, the philosophy of the club. He said, "But he said, it, trust me, it does exist." He said that I could see it just in in little bits last season with Chelsea, where the senior players or the or or, or you know there's so many so many changes that it just wasn't there. The standards weren't there. That they, they weren't able to sort of you know they didn't going into games feeling like they were ready. They didn't feel like they were sort of there was a togetherness in the squad and. That's the risk, isn't it? When you spend a lot of money, when you bring a lot of players in, and there's no question, Chelsea have got absolute talent. You know, there's no they haven't bought many bad players, put it that way, in in this spending spending spree. They might have bought ones that, that might be overpriced or you know might take a while to settle, but they haven't bought bad players at all. When you buy so many of them, it either takes a while for a sort of a hierarchy to appear, or and, and maybe you know that you sort of you get these leaders within the squad, or, or people feel comfortable within the squad. And obviously, what it does then is it just creates this this sort of disjointed feel. And you know, for for forty five minutes on Sunday, Chelsea were actually pretty good. They they were the better side against West Ham for for a long time. But you look at that and you think, well, all the praise that they got for drawing one one at Liverpool last week at home, all the criticism Liverpool got on on the back of it. And you know, ones won three one, ones lost three one, ones won three one with ten men, ones lost three one against ten men. So you, you you're looking at that and saying, well, there you go. Maybe maybe it's sort of it is wise to sort of just take a second, have a have a have a have a little bit of a wait before you start, you know, making making the assessments at the start of the season. There's still a lot of work for Chelsea to do. There's still a lot of work for Liverpool to do. But I think Liverpool are coming from a, a more settled and, and stable base. And you know, I, I think you know again, nothing nothing proves that as well as as last season. You know, when 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 Liverpool played Chelsea at Anfield in January, I think they were eighth and ninth, the two teams, and it was. I think I definitely wrote in in my piece for goal, and didn't it show? You know, they, 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 there was a nil nil draw, which precious little quality on show. 
it did look like the eighth and ninth best teams in the league playing. But look what happened come the end of the season. Liverpool were fifth, Chelsea were twelfth. And you know, I don't I think it does say something for what Jurgen Klopp's got and the senior players that he's got and the culture of the club that Liverpool were able to at least rescue something from the season, whereas Chelsea with, with all the changes they made, with all the sort of uncertainty and the sort of the egos potentially that were clashing, they went the other way. And that's the challenge for Pochettino, isn't it? He's got to get them doing what, what Klopp's Liverpool do and sort of getting back up towards the, the right end of the league. And if you were asking me, listen, the talent-wise, there's not much between the, the, the sides. Chelsea have got a, a, a breadth and, and depth of, of talent in their squad. But if you're asking me who I would be backing to be in the top four come the end of the season, it'd be Liverpool every day. I, th- I think expectations have evolved in, in sort of multiple aspects. Even looking at Virgil van Dijk, I, I, I would say there's a recognisable difference in terms of his levels compared to last season. And again, I don't want to get sort of too bogged down in Bournemouth. Uh, we do have a lot to talk about. But I, I think you can sort of look at where Liverpool are right now and say, actually, yes, there is still a need for signings, but Liverpool are perhaps in a better situation than many fans initially were giving the team credit for. Um it's certainly not quite as bleak um, as I think we were thinking about sort of heading into the season. But we are going to talk about signings inevitably, as we always seem to do this week. Um, and it seems we're going to have to adapt our expectations around what kind of individual will follow in next after Waturo uh, end. I believe James Pearce wrote an article to The Athletic this morning um, noting that Liverpool won't be going for a specialist number six after Waturo Endo. Klopp very much views um, Endo not as a stopgap. He's very happy with that sort of signing. And Liverpool will now be looking for more of a multifunctional midfield operator, which I think is quite interesting, actually, because it almost brings Liverpool full circle to the names that we were initially looking at, the likes of Kefren Taram, Manu Kone, positionally versatile, both 22 years of age, um, the kind of signings you look at and think, oh, yeah, we could really mould those. Um, is this sort of similar to what you've been hearing on your end? Are there any sort of names that you believe have been sort of thrown about and sort of touted who would smoothly fit that sort of description? Yeah, I think we've got to look at available first and foremost. And you know that Liverpool have had some problems with available players. For example, Ryan Gravenberg. For, for example, was one that Liverpool really like, liked and like, um, but wasn't available, hasn't been available. Now, if he is, then I think Liverpool would be right in the mix for someone like him. You know, like you say, Kevin, Kevin Saran was looked at strongly. I think it was sort of, it, it was relayed back that once, once Sober slide signed, that, that that was probably, you know, put the, put the end to that. But then obviously, in, in the meantime, Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, excuse me, left. Um, and and whether that gets revisited, we'll we'll see. I mean, he, he should be available. You know, he's he's at he's at Nice. He's he's not gone anywhere. And despite rumours, you know, about all the clubs being interested and things like that, he, a move hasn't materialised. Um, you've obviously got people like Manu Kone, but I think the, the probably the more interesting thing or the other interesting thing is what Liverpool do with the defence. And you know, we we spoke on this show a few times about would you have a midfielder would you have a defender would you have two midfielders would you have a defender and a midfielder what would, what would you do I think you I think you have to look at Liverpool's defence at the moment and say it's it's short if, in in the event of injuries isn't it you know you saw Joe Gomez come on at right back again on, on the weekend you saw obviously Canate and Van Dijk uh, most definitely now the, the preferred centre-back partnership but what happens if one of those is down you've got Joel Matip um, who 
with the greatest respect, has had a poor pre-season. And then you've got Costa Simakas, who wasn't even trusted. He wasn't trusted when Andy Robertson struggled at, at Stamford Bridge to come on at left-back. He wasn't trusted the weekend to come on at left-back. He came on as a sort of advanced left-side midfielder. So I think you you would you would have alarm bells around Liverpool if injuries started to hit the defence, I would say. So would Liverpool look for, to get a, a young centre-back in who can sort of, you know, make a, a player who is able to play as sort of in a back three almost, but but or or even just as a specialist right back as well. Um I think I think there's a case for that definitely for Liverpool. I think I think midfield look, midfield has, has been the area we've all spoken about. But you look by Chetic was back on the bench, Thiago should be back. Uh, I saw him walk through the mix zone and he, he was very positive and sort of chirpy. So I wouldn't exp- I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the squad next week. Obviously Curtis had an injury at the weekend, Curtis Jones, but I think he's he should be okay, you know soon enough you've got Harvey Elliott obviously still so uh, you've you've got numbers at least in, in the midfield area you know assuming people stay fit and you know assuming that you can sort of you can integrate Endo into the side and, and get him to a position where he's going to start I think he's going to start at Newcastle isn't he with, with McAllister's suspension um, defensively probably the, 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 the sort of the wardrobe looks a little bit bare doesn't it I, I would say um, so Maybe there's a case for both. I mean, it leaves us an interesting place because we saw, I think, as recently as last week, there was a lot of chatter around Liverpool uh, moving in for Crystal Palace's Jake de Cure. Mm. That, that now seems to have somewhat cooled. And if it's indeed the case that Liverpool are looking for more multifunctional operators in the middle of the park, is it is it fair to say then that... Um, we can expect Liverpool to not move at all for the likes of a Dakure and certainly for Munrabat yeah. who seems to be <laughs> bizarrely consistently yeah. linked. I'd, I'd, I'd be mightily surprised if Liverpool went anywhere near Munrabat at this stage. Yeah, I, I, just, just, I mean, this, I wouldn't rule anything out because if we've seen this summer, I, as I say, we all, you know, no one saw Endo coming, no one saw Sobosly coming, did they really? I just, you know, until it was sort of a done deal. But it would feel a bit strange for Liverpool to buy a 30-year-old hold midfielder and, you know, sort of on a four-year contract and then also go and buy a 23-year-old in, in Decore or a 26-year-old in Amrabat. You know, it would feel like it would feel like sort of double locking the, the door, wouldn't it, you know, a little bit. And, you know, maybe maybe that's what some fans would like Liverpool to do. But, yeah, it, it would feel a little bit sort of extreme from, from Liverpool's point of view. It looks like they've committed to Endo as being not just a sort of you know, squad player sort of emergency sign. I'm, I'm, I'm not for one second suggesting that he was always the guy that they wanted, but I think they've seen him as someone who's first team capable. <laughs> you know, I saw someone commented on on my Substack at the weekend actually that said, you know, I, I was worried about him being another Arthur Mello. He said, but he's already played more minutes than Arthur Mello for Liverpool, so <laughs> we, can, we, we can we can rule that one out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think. I think it does give Liverpool a bit more wiggle room, doesn't it, to get someone a bit more longer term, I think, and a bit more sort of suited, suited to, you know, the future of Liverpool. Or, and it's not, this isn't a popular one, but to do some to do some work for future. So, if you, you know, if you look at maybe someone like, who's been linked, Andre, for example, from, from Fluminense, and there's talk that, when, you know, Liverpool aren't going to get him this window. Well, maybe Liverpool can put a deal in place for January that, you know, he arrives and, and they can make sure that that's, that's all settled. Maybe they can start to put some groundwork in for the next sort of big player that they think is going to become, you know, 
the next one, you just can say those type of things, you know, in, in a year's time or whatever, they can start to sort of make some headway in that regard because they've got Endo in and, and he can sort of look after the fourth for the time being. But I definitely think Liverpool are still short of, of, of a player, probably two players before the end of the window. I, I don't, I think Jürgen said on Friday in his, his press conference, he said, we, we are still looking at the market and we will see. So there's definitely a chance that Liverpool are doing more business and I think they need to. They still need, I would say, another midfielder probably a, a player who's capable of playing a couple of positions in the midfield, but I think also definitely a, a centre-back. I think they, they can't they can't risk Matt, um, Canate or Van Dijk getting injured and, and having to sort of put Matip and or Gomez into the side for, you know, three, four weeks or more. I think it's just, it, it, it it's too big a drop-off and there's too many question marks around it. And also those two players have shown that when they do play regularly, they tend to break down as well, so you could you could find yourself pretty quickly in a position where you're running out of running out of centre back options. I mean, it's very reminiscent, isn't it, of the 2021 season? And you're thinking everyone's looking at that situation, thinking this this looks dodgy. This could, you know, an injury and and it inevitably it yeah. happened. And then you look at sort of the options Liverpool were exploring at the you know Ocean Kabaka, you know, obviously still something of a cult hero, albeit mm-hmm. at Liverpool, but. Not not to the standard that I think, you know, certainly Liverpool wanted it evidently as, you know, why we didn't pursue that on, on a more permanent deal. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that whilst we are sort of talking midfielders, generally there doesn't seem to be a great deal of chatter about centre-backs and about a, left, a left-sided sort of centre-back. Um, from, from your end and what you've been hearing, you know, is this still a piece of business that Liverpool are confident of completing before the window closes? No, I wouldn't say confident. I, I, I have not been given that that sort of impression. I, I, it's always been put to me that if Liverpool sign a centre back this summer, it needs to be a younger player that's happy to sort of not <laughs> to not play, you know, or to risk not playing for long periods of the season. And um, you know, so when you're looking at, for example, I mean, take the finances out of it, but looking at Josco Guardiola, that was the risk, wasn't it? You know. He sort of he plays in Virgil Van Dijk's position, so Virgil Van Dijk is going to play every time he's fit this season for Liverpool in the Premier League. It's not going to, you know, unless Liverpool have won the league by twenty points come come April, you know, Virgil Van Dijk's going to if fit, going to start thirty eight Premier League games. I'm pretty sure this season. I think that Ibrahim Akanati won't be far off that if he was to stay fit. So it's got to be a player that's capable of playing when needed, but is also happy to sort of develop and take that that year of, you know, okay, I'm gonna to have to earn my place, so I'm gonna to have to wait my turn. I'm gonna to have to maybe maybe fill in, you know, the odd time at left back or right back, you know, coming on and sub or, you know, be be one of those players that you know, a little bit I mean Canate had to do that a little bit in his first season. You know, he 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 didn't play many league games, I don't think, up until sort of the springtime. Um that it needs to be something like that. It's not. It's not necessarily going to be Liverpool going out and spending seventy million pounds on a centre back like Guardiola, who's going to expect that. Well, I'm going to be in the sides. You know, it, it has to be. There has to be a sort of uh, a phased introduction, if you like. And you know, that that's difficult, isn't it? You know, it's easy for me to sit and say, "Oh, that's what Liverpool need to do." It's it's harder to look and see players that want to do that and are good enough to do it. Um, but that's Liverpool's job. That's that's what they need to need to find. I think I'd expect Jurel Kwanzaa. To, to go out and loan before the end of the, the window. Obviously, they've already sent out Reese Williams, Seth Vandenberg. So there's not there's not a young centre back really that's that's there that's you know ready to step into that role. I don't think as the as the fourth or fifth choice centre back. So if they could find one in the market, 
that would be pretty advisable. I would, what I would say is obviously there's there's a young player with the under twenty ones, Luke Chambers. That I'm looking at him longer term, and I watched him play for the twenty ones um, last Monday against Everton. He played on on Friday. He's had an Achilles injury, so he, he wasn't part of the first team picture this this summer um, in pre season. But he's back fit now. He's a left sided centre back slash left back, and I think he's got huge potential. I really do. I think I think he's one of those players that. In a, in a year or two's time, if he can go and carry on on the upward curve, I think he could be ready to play for Liverpool. I really do. Um, so, if he can get a good loan maybe this season and sort of go and get some first-team experience, he's had a little bit last season up in Scotland. If he can go and get um, a little bit more and a little bit of um, you know more physicality and experience of physicality, I think Liverpool might have a player that could seamlessly sort of come into the first-team picture as either a left-back or a left-sided centre-back. So, Keep an eye on him uh, for the longer term, but I think in the shorter term or the more medium term, I think Liverpool need to get someone in that's versatile, young and good. I mean, when we talk about the back line, I mean, it's you feel Liverpool have been slightly unlucky here because they did do their due diligence in part by bringing in, uh, as far as the you know right sort of uh, fullback is concerned, bringing in Calvin Ramsey, who yeah. unfortunately I believe you know had another injury on loan. I think the lad really can't catch a break. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think I completely agree. I think two bodies should hope should hopefully be the minimum target for Liverpool this summer. Again, it's determined by availability. We know the club has the finances and you'd think any midfielder they bring in probably won't cost as much as a Moises Caicedo at this point, you'd hope. Um, just one final curveball I'm going to throw at you, Neil. Um there's been some reports that surfaced again, inevitably, around Saudi Arabia and Mohammed Salah. Uh, some have boldly suggested the Egyptian would be open uh, to move away next summer. We, we know certainly for this summer, his agent has been particularly vocal about this. This is not something him and his clients have discussed for this summer. We know that he's staying, no problem. But in terms of the following summer, are, are, are these any sort of murmurs that you've heard, or would you just kind of, you know, would you rubber stamp any of this? I, I, listen, when Saudi Arabia is concerned, I wouldn't rubber stamp anything at the moment. It, there's so much going on, and we've seen it, and we with, with you know, player after player after player. I mean, you know, just seeing Otavio move. He was linked with Liverpool a while back, and you know, he's sort of in his decent, decent age, isn't he? From Porto, he's gone there. You're looking at Imeric Laporte going, you know, now everything's sort of up in the air with Saudi. I think. You obviously look at Salah next summer and he's gonna have a year left on his contract. And we know what happened last time he had a year left on his contract and the sort of the stories <laughs> that emerge that emerge around that and the sort of fuss that was, was made every time Rami Abbas tweeted and you know it looked and I know Liverpool really got to the stage where people at Liverpool thought that it was it it was going the wrong way for them, you know, and that Salah was gonna leave. So there's definitely a chance that he, he leaves Liverpool next summer if if nothing's been agreed. And, Liverpool never had that on their agenda. Last time it was Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid and Barcelona, wasn't it? It wasn't a Manchester City. I think it was sort of one of those clubs that were linked to Chelsea. This is this is now there's the extra sort of uh, spice, isn't it, of, of obviously Saudi Arabia. And I would be absolutely amazed if Saudi Arabia didn't come knocking for Mo Salah, obviously the the the, the most um, famous footballer in the Arabic world, isn't he? You know, in 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 sort of um, an icon of 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 African football, of Arabic football. So, of course, they they're gonna they're gonna um they're gonna want to have him to show off. Um, and I can only imagine the kind of offers that would be made for someone like Salah. You know, he's already on 
incredible money at Liverpool, he's going to be offered incredible times. Three money probably by by Saudi Arabia. So I do think it's an issue that Liverpool are probably are going to have to at least confront or, or think about at some point. Hopefully not this summer. You know, I know that I know there's still a few weeks left of the window, isn't it, in, in the, the Saudi Pro League, and that that could cause some problems for clubs. Uh, once, especially once the 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 European window closes, Klopp's already mentioned that, and there's there's a few other players that have been linked from it from his squad, Luis Diaz and Thiago and Alisson Becker. I think Liverpool would be crazy to consider selling anyone else from the first team if 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 they don't have to. Um, but I think in the future, yes, yeah, Salah's Salah's future is not gonna. It's 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 not one that you can ignore. It's not one that you can sort of um, you know, just say, oh no, not for sale. I think you have to start looking at it. You know, he'll be what will he be thirty two, thirty three. Come come next summer, he'll have a year left. Are Liverpool going to give him another three four year contract at, at at the mad you know money that he, he ended up on? And what are Saudi Arabian clubs going to offer him? Because I think there is going to be a a, a pretty aggressive um, move from them to to get him over there. How difficult this summer window has been. I, I'm sure many oh. of the fans will be absolutely delighted well, to learn the next one will be just as good. <laughs> someone said to me, someone said to me last week, someone on the hotel said, uh, you know, obviously they must have just been looking on Twitter or that, or someone said, Is Alison going? And you know, like you sort of, my face just sort of went cold. You're like, What? And he's like, Oh, just I've read that Saudi Arabia in for Alison. You're thinking, uh, there's absolutely no world, surely, where Liverpool could sort of possibly say, oh, no, he wanted to go, so we have to, you know, you think, God, the difficulty they've had trying to find a number six, imagine trying to find a new number one or a new number 11, that would be, yeah, that would be off the charts. I mean, even more difficult, I think, replacing Alisson. Even yeah. more difficult, I would say, I'd say the options for the, you know, for a holding midfielder are, are far more present. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think Klopp was very clear on this, didn't he? Because he even referenced... Fabinho and Henderson in his comments, he sort of went, went well, Alisson could probably play for another decade. Henderson and Fabinho, not so much. So you can see where the manager's coming from. And I, I think certainly also if you look at sort of, I mean, Alisson himself, you know, I think you, you just think you've got so much still left to accomplish, at, you know, with all due respect to the Saudi Pro League yeah. um, within sort of European football. But um you never know. Again, I, 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 we didn't know about Henderson and Fabinho, did we? I don't, no, I don't, I don't think not. anyone predicted that curveball coming. Um, so I'll, I'll be careful not to jinx things any further. Uh, Neil, <laughs> you, you, you've been a superb sport, uh, as always, and I'm sure everyone will be very keen to keep track of everything that you're writing, as ever, on your Substack, neilj.substack.com. All superb stuff. Um, lots of good stuff there, so keep a good eye on that. And, of course, You'll be tweeting. You'll be xing, posting. I'm. I'm just going to say it's hard to know what, what what's the, what is it for. Um, you'll be on X as ever uh, at uh, Neil at Neil Jones Gold. Uh, so keep track of that. If you've been watching this uh, with Empire, we have this on our YouTube. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, and a comment if you've been enjoying this kind of content. And of course, we'll be posting this on our own Substack at Empire of the Cop. Yeah, Empire of the Cop. Substack. Com. Be sure to give us a subscribe there and keep track of all the goody, good stuff that's coming out on a weekly basis. Um, I've been Farrell Keeling. We've had the lovely Neil Jones here with us today on Empire of the Cop Insider. Hope you've enjoyed it. Take care.